0: What is up, friends? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Selby is Godcast. I am T.J. Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. You can find us on Twitter at T.J. at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast. And of course, you can subscribe to the show. We thank everybody that does that. Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or really anywhere you happen to subscribe to podcasts. Well, Zach, it is, as we record this, November 11th. That means it's eleven eleven. 11 Make a wish, Big guy. My wish is that we get through this podcast without
1: everybody listening having to hear my neighbor blow his leaves and mow his lawn, um, which is just a constant, you, you get it just drilled into your head that constant humming noise. It's always there. So. Well, it's Hopefully this time It's of year. not too
0: loud. This time of year, it's constantly. <laughs> you hear that because you got your windows open. It's actually not awful outside. So uh, it's fine. I'm, I have got to give myself a round of applause because I said at the beginning of this fall, I am not going to let the leaves win this year, Zach. I'm not going to do it. I am going to get out there every few days and I'm going to take care of it. I am going to make sure we don't get backed up like I did last year when I had that giant pile that I sent you that Linus should have come over and jumped in it because he would have had a hell of a time. I didn't want that to happen again this year. I stayed on top of it. The last leaves are coming off the tree, and my yard is not a mess, and I want some uh, some applause for me. I did a good job here. Very happy for you. And This is
1: your annual reminder because I remember we talked about this last year, and I think we named a podcast episode after it. But if you live in my neighborhood, do not let your children jump in your leaf piles because my dog has probably peed on that leaf pile. It is this weird obsession he has every single pile we pass when we're walking around the neighborhood. He has to mark his territory.
0: Speaking of things that blow, hey, the Indians might trade Francisco Lindor this winter. Oh boy. I thought we'd do something fun today. (laughs) As opposed to our other episodes? That's terrific. I'm glad you've participated in this episode
1: uh i'm gonna turn you into chris antonetti
0: for the oh all right well if that's the case i will speak for a long period of time and you'll have no answers at the end of it yeah the
1: difference here is that i'm going you're going to be chris antonetti i'm going to be asking you questions
0: but you're actually going to answer them with concrete like substance Uh, (laughs) oh so this isn't the covid vaccine you're actually giving me a truth serum here yeah, you need to actually tell me what you would be thinking if you were Chris Antonetti. So are you ready? <laughs> God, no. I have to get myself in that mindset. So how do I get there? How do I get into the Chris Antonetti mindset?
1: Uh, probably get in a workout, put on a, uh, a polo underneath one of those Indians long sleeve dry fit quarter yeah. zips. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's That's definitely his entire closet
1: uh stick a bottle of aquafina into the back pocket of your <laughs> khaki pants and, and you're good to
0: go i think i'm gonna have to turn up the sarcasm even more than i typically have it so i'll I'll take it from like a seven up to a nine
1: the worst part is i that without question this will get back to chris <laughs> good
0: <laughs> good i'm
1: glad but these are these aren't mean these are these are fun he'll laugh anyway first question are you ready no, but sure, fire away. Are you gonna take the job of President of Baseball Operations for the New York Mets?
0: Oh, why why would I do that? I'm so comfortable here in in Cleveland. My family is here, and I just have stacks of cash to burn through every off season. Oh, man. Uh, I, I, you know what there's 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 some temptation, I think, anytime a job opens up. But I have to ask myself, do I go with the unknown over what I currently already know and am comfortable with? And I'm in a position here where, uh, I I mean, I answer to the owner, but I'm not necessarily worried about my job security each and every single day. I'm I'm, going to stick here in Cleveland. I'm just going to stay here where I know I'm familiar with the people that work with me and around me and under me. and I'm good. I know the constraints that I have but I'm going to stick it out here in Cleveland because uh, I'm going to go down that path that uh, the Billy Bean went down at the end of the Moneyball movie, which was pretty much exactly reality. <laughs> um, yeah. One you know, championship here is just going to mean so much more than a championship anywhere else. So I'm going, to, I'm going to stick with the small market club.
1: So we don't know for sure that the Mets are even interested in this. Um, I think you can – Deduce from their new owner's statements that they're going to swing big for someone established who has experience who who is good at their job.
0: Antonetti checks every box. I mean, can I step out of character for a minute? We I have guess. we we did this when 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 the Dolans took over the Indians' ownership, there were a lot of proclamations made and people made a lot of assumptions about the way they were going to run their team, I think just because the last name Dolan was attached there. And I remember people calling it a sports radio to say, well, at least the Indians will spend money now that they have the Dolans mm-hmm. in place, as opposed to Dick Jacobs, who was not necessarily going to spend top dollar and going to be able to compete with the big market teams. I remember those phone calls happening. And now I see what, what it looks like today. So to just say, oh, well, the, the Mets are now going to spend like a team that looks like they're in New York well, maybe we can make those assumptions, but I don't know until I actually see it play out. It could just be the same shit all over again for New York, and they're not going to run like the Yankees do. Yeah, I think the better question here is, is Mike
1: Chernoff. And, I mean, with Antonetti, it's, it wouldn't be a promotion. I mean, he runs the operation in Cleveland. He has tenure. He makes a lot of money. He is in charge of an operation that is widely praised. And yes, I'm sure he wishes he could operate with a more flexible payroll and it would make his job a little bit easier. But um, I think the fan base recognizes that the front office does a pretty good job in Cleveland and that a lot of times they're handcuffed by the payroll. Um, I don't know that just moving to a new opportunity because you might have more financial flexibility. I don't, I don't know that that would be enough of a selling point. And like you said, I mean, he's got um, two daughters who are in school in Cleveland and, and I'm sure uprooting your family isn't ideal either. Chernoff is interesting to me just because it would be a promotion for him. I mean, he and and Antonetti are one A and one B in Cleveland, essentially. I mean, Antonetti is, you know, the head honcho, but um, Chernoff has tons of responsibility. He is helping to run the ship here, but he would be in charge. It would be new. He would be president of baseball operations. You pick your own GM, you basically establish the front office culture. And, and you even heard the owner talking about wanting to draft and develop players well. And, and that's, you know, you would have a lot of responsibility there. The other thing is his dad runs, Wfan in New York, like there, his family has roots in New York. Um, there is a connection there. So I, I've always wondered. I mean, even when the Mets GM job has opened in the past, I've wondered if Chernoff was a guy. His name always gets thrown out there. Um, I, I have no. I have not talked to Mike Chernoff about this um, since the Mets owner, new owner took over. I have. I have no idea what he would actually think. But I would think that he might be the more likely candidate here instead of Antonetti. But again, th- who knows what the Mets are even thinking with this?
0: Right. That's a, anytime you have any sort of ownership change or regime change, you can attack it with some sense of what you think is going to happen. But when you don't have a track record to necessarily stand on and, and draw off of here, then you, you, you don't really know. I think we've all been sort of trained because of the, the talk about the Indians orga- organization as a whole that when there's any sort of job opening up anywhere, that the Indians are going to get some sort of attention. Whether it's on a coaching staff, even if it's not a new manager coming directly out of an Indians organization, anytime a manager takes over, you think, does that guy have any ties back to Cleveland? Is, Is he going to try to poach guys off of the Indian staff? We've seen that happen before too, where they're not necessarily taking over as the head guy in the dugout but they're going to go join somebody else that they have some connections to and it carries over to the front office as well so anytime there's any sort of opening haven't we seen it enough where Cleveland has become that farm system from an organization standpoint not just the players to other clubs I don't think you can rule out anytime there's any sort of opening
1: yeah and I mean I know they're along these lines I can drop in here they're interviewing candidates for the bench coach role right now Um, since Brad Mills won't be back in that capacity next season, um, anyway, yeah it's an interesting thing I, I I would be so fascinated to see what the Indians would do if they lost one of those two guys because they've been so instrumental over the last decade plus um, especially Antonetti, who started with the organization in the late nineties and um, you know he was around for those late days of the jacobs ownership and that 90s run. So he's he's seen this franchise through it all. Um, but, you know, the Indians promote front office people every year. You've got three assistant GMs right now. And so I think like anything, they would just assume the next man up mentality and <laughs> go from there.
0: Yeah, their pitching staff mirrors their right. front office staff. <laughs> One guy leaves, just plug the next guy in, and the machine keeps churning. But, I mean, a lot of that comes down to me, Chris Antonetti, and how I run things. I'll take the credit here. <laughs> Chris, I have another question for you. <laughs> sure. We've talked
1: about the complexities to a Francisco indoor trade this winter, and how you've got teams claiming financial distress, and you know they have to be um, conservative with their payroll, and you know they might not want to take on twenty-one million dollars of. Francisco Lindor, plus he's a rental, um, plus you know, the Indians are certainly going to want some, some talent in exchange. What is your sales pitch to other teams to
0: get them to overpay for your star shortstop? Well, I think you, you pointed it out very eloquently in what you wrote, Zach, because I read everything that all of the media writes, despite the fact that I say that I don't. Um, so true so true <laughs> i think a lot of gms do i think a lot of everybody does by the way if and we've we've talked about this before imagine you're in any sort of role and people are writing things about you in any position don't you want to read it just out of curiosity i don't buy that people don't read uh the press clippings and see what what's happening all right so what's my sales pitch the sales pitch is that he is a bona fide star and i know that it's just one year but there's a lot of teams that would love to have just one year of Francisco Lindor. I realize I'm not going to get what we were asking for two years ago or even last year, maybe even at the trade deadline because of the service time here and because of the money that he's going to make. And I know how teams this year might have to operate a little bit differently than they have in years past. All that is true, but there isn't a team on the planet that couldn't benefit from having Francisco Lindor part of it. Now, there may be some teams that are happy with their shortstops, but I don't think the list is that big, and if you have any plans of competing uh, in 2021, this guy is going to help you do it. So I, th- I think it just comes down to that there are, there are so many teams that are in a position where they either want to make the next step, um, and we're sort of seeing this with some young teams and maybe even with the expanded playoffs that helped give some teams that, that wouldn't have gotten an opportunity before a little taste of what the postseason is like, and they, they want more of that. So they're a little bit more desperate to try to take that next jump. But I'm going to, certainly the, the calls and the the interest that I'm going to be paying most attention to are teams like that, that either feel some pressure to, to take that next step. Maybe it's the Blue Jays or a team that has something to prove. Uh, I know you wrote about Los Angeles and the pressure they feel to finally capitalize on having Mike Trout and a a team that they have not been able to build around them. Maybe that's somewhere where the focus needs to be, but I I need to find the team that's most desperate to make some sort of splash. I think that article that you wrote, Zach, actually hits home the fact that the names that we're talking about here are not the names that you were talking about two or three years ago. And I think everybody has to kind of get that in their mind that. If and when, and I think it's closer to when, not if they trade Francisco Lindor, you better be prepared because it's not going to be the overwhelming haul that you were preparing yourself for three years ago. It's not that dream scenario anymore. Yeah, like I, I remember looking at one of
1: the Angels offers. It was like Brandon Marsh and Luis Rangifo. And I was like, oh wow, like that's a pretty good that's a pretty good offer. And then someone commented and was like, that's it, that's awful. Or or <laughs> someone was like, Lindor and Carrasco for Joe Adele. Like that's way too much to give up. And Adele was like a top two prospect in the game entering last year. But it's it's just what the expectations were a year or two ago. You're right. I mean it it's Yeah, you're gonna it's have gonna gonna to reset
0: something that's gonna be fair for the Indians to accept and maybe they even win. It's gonna be difficult to to get fans one over on that, just on the trade itself. But knowing that he's not gonna be here beyond next year, regardless of what happens, he's not signing here the less wise thing to do would be to just let him walk and you get nothing for him. We can talk about that they they should sign him or they need to make it work, but let's deal in reality here. It's not going to happen, so let's clear the next hurdle, and that's do you want something for the guy or do you just want to let him walk away and hope that you get some compensation for him?
1: Yeah, I mean, the greater issue is that they didn't do everything they could to win with him on the roster in 2018 and 2019 and maybe 2020. That, that's the greatest injustice in all of this. Um, you've reached the point here of no return where like your roster, you've stripped it down so much where with or without Lindor, you're probably probably a winning team in 2021 um, or right around the 500 mark, but having Lindor on your roster isn't going to be the difference between winning a World Series and not. Like I don't think you're winning the 2021 World Series, so... You're right. Like you've reached the point where you've got to just take the best offer you get, and it's it's going to be. I mean, I don't. You're pretending to be Chris Antonetti, and you're saying you just need to find the most desperate team. I don't know how you do that. I mean, you just send a text to every GM and say, <laughs> ask how desperate they're feeling. But I do think. But you, don't you, you need think to you find, have a sense
0: of that? I mean,
1: well, but you... I think you want to find a a team, a team that has confidence that they think they might be able to sign him to an extension. You know, the Dodgers had the luxury of having such a fuck-ton of talent in the majors and the minors that even if Mookie Betts didn't agree to that extension and he left after the one year, it wasn't that big of a deal for them to lose Verdugo and Jeter Downs and Connor Wong. Like, they have tons of talent that Mm. they can replenish. Um, If the the Indians can find some team that thinks they can re-sign Lindor, and that's why I'm... like, yeah, maybe an up-and-coming team like the Blue Jays or the Giants makes some sense. But I, I think you're going to have to find a team like, I mean, the Mets are going to be tied to everybody. But yeah. even like, that's why the Angels make some sense to me. Because their owner has the pockets that are deep enough to say, hey, if you can turn down
0: this monster offer, more power to you. Well, I think you've got to find a cross-section of both teams that we're talking about. They're there certainly are a number of teams that feel like they have a good shot to sign Francisco Lindor, but there's also uh, a portion of those teams that are going to say we can just wait a year and we feel good about our opportunity to sign him after 2021. So why are we giving anything up for this guy?
1: Right. And have you seen the free agent shortstop class for next year?
0: Exactly. So Lindor, Baez, Correa, Seager story. I I think if you're a team, (laughs) like we've talked about the Dodgers endlessly here, but if you're a team like the Dodgers, you're already good. You don't feel a pressure to now make a move. You've already got your title. You already have the depth here. You don't need to make a move like that. So even if we talk about teams that could get him realistically, could sign him after 2021, you have to look at the teams that are desperate enough to want to make that move now, but also feel like there's a decent shot. I don't know what, what percentage would it have to be to, to pull the trigger on something like that, but it, you got to find a mesh of the two. The up-and-coming teams are nice because then they don't have large payrolls as of yet. They can spend on a guy like Francisco Lindor, the type of money that it's going to take to get him. But TJ,
1: there's a workaround here because the Indians could attach a starting pitcher to Francisco Lindor, and then all of a sudden you've got a pretty enticing package. I mean, the Angels are a perfect example here because... They're gonna if they lose Andrelton Simmons, they need a shortstop. Well, the thing that has plagued them throughout Mike Trout's tenure there is starting pitching. So if you attach a starting pitcher to Lindor, all of a sudden they've got to be super interested. Um, and I don't know if that's a young starting pitcher or if that's someone like Carlos Carrasco, which we've talked about. That's an entire different can of worms, but. They have the depth. You've got Bieber, Carrasco, Savali, Pleasak, Mackenzie, Quantrill, Logan Allen, Scott Moss, Adam Plutko. That's nine names right there. That's nine guys who don't need any more time in AAA. Um, so and and you know, they can always pick up somebody. There there are other guys who were in the alternate site camp who could be ready if if they really needed to during the season, so. Like, they've got, they can probably afford to trade one of those guys for a young, similar, so similarly gonna talented be? position who's, player. Who is well, it
0: going to be? I don't know.
1: I think that depends on the team you're talking to. You know, if Carrasco might make sense for certain teams, uh, maybe the Indians really deep down don't want to trade him. Um, but also, like, maybe Tristan McKenzie, maybe you sell high on him and you're not convinced that his. His body frame can handle 162 games year in and year out. You know, maybe it's Logan Allen, maybe it's Scott Moss. I, like, it, it. I think it depends on how other teams view these these pitchers. Okay, but, but ask that the is question. one way. Who
0: Who is the guy that is going to be most difficult to try to attach and make this work? Who most difficult it? for what reason? To from a standpoint of what they mean to the franchise and the position that they're well, in. Sure. Who is it, Zach? So it's Carlos Carrasco. I mean, it's...
1: (laughs) What what if I would have said Aaron Savali? (laughs) Would you still have played that? Sure, why not? Okay. Um... So this is tough because if Carlos Carrasco hadn't been what he's... hadn't gone through what he's gone through, if he didn't mean so much to the community, he's the longest tenured member of the organization, player-wise, having come over in the Cliff Lee trade in 2009. And, I mean, he's signed two super team-friendly deals to stay in Cleveland. He's had the health issues. He visits the pediatric cancer um, ward of of the Cleveland Clinic, like, on a weekly basis when he's in Cleveland. Like, Okay, so let me ask you this. You're Chris Antonetti for the day. If you're going to decide to pull the trigger and trade Carlos Carrasco. How do you make that phone call? What are
0: you saying to the guy? (laughs) Well, I I guess I will just take a, a page out of Moneyball's book again and just say, hey, Carlos, we're trading you. We thank you for the service. Here's the number for the guy that you're going to talk to with the traveling secretary on the other team. Thanks. (laughs) No, I don't think that's going to work, actually, in this situation. Would you play that sounder for him? (laughs) Hey, Carlos, you just got traded. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so if we can actually just be serious for a second. We covered a lot of this in our our last episode, the difficulties that are there. I don't think it makes it any easier to sell to anybody to say... (laughs) We're going to trade Francisco Lindor. Also, Carlos Carrasco is in the package. I, I guess what I'm trying to wrap my brain around is how much it could positively impact a return. What, what's the benefit here for a team to take Carrasco? Because all of the things we talked about before, the, the potential you know, warnings and red flags that do exist for a guy like Carrasco now... Um, that you can't just avoid. Does that make the trade for Lindor better? Are you anticipating a better return? Are you just excited? Yeah, I mean, to it would be a team that, salary that space that here. I mean, what's desperately
1: the... needs a starting pitcher, and he's got a reasonable contract, and he's proved in twenty twenty that he's
0: still pretty good. Yeah. Well, I don't think any of that is is off the table. It's not like you, what you're saying is false. And but we did talk about last episode that it's not going to be easy to clear all the hurdles that would be necessary to make a Carlos Carrasco trade feel worth it. And uh, so much you can look at thinking about things logically, Um, leaving the the human and personal element out of this and making just trades that are best for your franchise and hoping that the fans get over it in the long run as as long as you made a good move and it ends up panning out. But all of that is really tough when you're talking about a guy like Carrasco. Um, And it's not just from a fan's perspective, but it's how he feels and wanting to do right by him and you talked about it too, Carrasco and Antonetti, or me. Uh, we have a good relationship, and I'm I'm going to want to make sure that I do right by him too. Um, and trading him away from Cleveland might not be the best move for him personally. I don't think that's, I don't think that's an easy, an easy line to to try to walk down because, as a GM or a president in Antonetti's shoes, you want to be doing things that are best for your team, and you don't want to make decisions that are. Are worse off for trying to win games because you're trying to be, you're trying to pay too much attention to the human element. You can't keep a guy around on a team because you personally like him and he stinks, or he's taking away from your ability to to win games that particular year. But I, you know, Carrasco doesn't fall into that category where he stinks. He's still giving you something pretty good on the field, and there's a reason why he was starting the playoff game where he was. But there's just a there's a lot there that I, I still am very skeptical that you're going to be able to accomplish all you need to accomplish and check every single box that you need to with his comfort level in the trade, the return being worth it. And in this case, if you're including him in a trade, it it better somehow make the return that you're getting here more worthwhile. And it can't just be, well, we're attaching a Carrasco because it will help clear more salary and get the payroll even lower. So I, I think there's a lot here that you would have to digest and break apart piece by piece. Okay, so if it's not Carrasco, let me ask you this. Big question.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) What starting pitcher would you be most willing to attach to Lindor. Why do, I, to sweeten that return? why do I have to answer this? Because whatever I say will just come back on me next year. <laughs> and I say things like, I think you know, long term, maybe Zach Plesak is better off as a reliever. We'll see. And then he ends up being the third best starter on the team <laughs> I said um, that too. And, and passing Savali as far as a guy that looks intriguing for the future. Uh, you can only evaluate things based on what we know now. We didn't know Plesak was going to take certain development steps in the offseason. And and upgrade certain parts of himself. But based on things we know now, and and the the sort of way that I, I, I typically view things, I, I want to deal guys when they're at potentially their peak of what the return might be. And, and maybe that's a guy like Tristan McKenzie. Maybe you worry about his ability to hold up over a long season. You know, even as that, even as last year progressed, and I know he's com- still coming back and we're trying to work his way back to full health from injury and and all of that's there, still very fair. Um, but we saw his velocity fade a bit down the stretch. Not saying that it doesn't mean he can't be a good starter. It doesn't mean that he can't find that velocity or strengthen himself or just as he continues to mature, f- somehow finally the cheeseburger makes his way to his butt. All of that might eventually happen. What an image. <laughs> if we're talking about guys that do have some risk here but still hold some, some significant value because of not very long ago... What he was thought to be, maybe that is Tristan McKenzie. Interesting. I mean, do you follow what my logic on that? It's not to say that I, I, I do I want. I mean that that's I think why the I Indians. His name. I I think the Indians should trade Tristan McKenzie. That's not what I'm saying. But of the guys that are there, that I think could make some sort of impact in a return, and somebody that maybe you worry about their ability to stay on the field and help you as a starter. He might be the guy that you're that you're trying to shop.
1: No, I mean that that's why I mentioned him, but I I really think it depends on the other team's evaluations of these pitchers because there isn't a ton of evidence on him or even Polisac or Savali or Quantrill or the guys at AAA. I mean it's it's this is a weird spot because you're first of all, some of these guys People didn't even get a chance to watch in 2020 because there was no minor league season. And so you're going off of past info. That's another thing that's going to complicate basically any trade any team makes is that, you know, if the Indians deal Lindor for prospects, well, you haven't seen these prospects play in two years. Um, So I I don't know. I, I don't, I mean, like, I don't know. We don't know what Cal Quantrill is. I mean, they acquired him. He looked okay out of the bullpen. And now they say they want to see him as a starter. Well, who knows what that's going to look like? I, mean, I know it was it had mixed results in San Diego coming up through their system, but that I mean Logan Allen came from San Diego and spent two months in the Indian system and said he was already ten times the pitcher he was
0: with the Padres. So who knows? Yeah, no, I we've talked about this privately, but I I'm very excited to see a guy like him get an opportunity, but that's not going to happen. At least right now with the way that their starters are set up so is there somebody that i am skeptical of or maybe not even that strong of a word but just question their ability to hold up over a long season that other teams might have a higher opinion of and can i jump on that now as opposed to waiting when you know he's pitched in the major leagues and he looks like maybe he's uh an average average average-ish pitcher which is not a bad thing average is great if you can plug that in at the back of your rotation especially when it's not making a lot of money, but when you're talking about a top 100 prospect in baseball or a guy that ends up being an average-ish starter in the major leagues, the, the value of that sort of thing is exponentially different.
1: I have one more question for you, Mr. Antonetti. We are recording this shortly before Shane Bieber will win the Cy Young Award. It will be the sixth in Indians history, the fifth in the last 13 years, you had CeCe Sabathia, Cliff Lee, Corey Kluber twice. The only question is whether Bieber will be a unanimous selection. If anybody voted Kenta Maeda or Hyunjin Ryu first, I have this to say.
0: Um, you we're, like that so, one? we're so high tech here. <laughs> uh, but hold my question is this. the phone up to the microphone. You're so great.
1: <laughs> You know, Bieber is he made the prorated salary of 500 what 50,000 this season. He's going to earn pretty similar to that. He's going to earn the league minimum again next year and then he'll have his 3 years of arbitration unless something changes with the new CBA uh a year from now or whenever it gets settled after the impending player strike. Um what should the Indians do here? Like is there we've talked about what it would take to sign him to an extension. What, a year ago we did? I think yeah. we even brought it up during the season. I don't know that Bieber would have the motivation to do it. If I were in his shoes, I'd probably want to see how that CBA shakes out. But is if you're the Indians and you traded Kluber, you traded Bauer, you traded Clevenger, you might trade someone this winter, you can do it they have the pitching development pipeline in place you've got young kids down in Ethan Hankins and Daniel Espino and Sam Henches and, and other guys in the, in the lower levels who you would assume would be ready to come up once you know beaver gets expensive or police sack gets expensive and i'm talking years from now like this is this is really looking ahead but should you have a guy that you build around should you have a guy that you yeah lock in for a long period of time um and so chris like from your perspective is is this the winter to maybe do that when you are taking this payroll down so far that and you don't have i mean jose ramirez is going to make some money the next couple of years but other than that nobody is if you trade carrasco so i mean isn't this the time to maybe give bieber an extension and, and maybe even
0: sweeten it a little bit up front So that it it pays off in the long term? Yeah, Uh, hold on a second, Zach. Uh, Janet, Janet, yeah, fax that over to Bieber's agent immediately. Immediately. Yeah, I'm sorry, Zach. What was that? What were you saying? (laughs) Yes, yes, to answer all of your questions. Yes, you want to have, I think, some sort of guy that you have here for some stability. And uh, there are, uh, with Clevenger, let's say you have questions about his health and thanks to his actions last year, maybe you have questions about his leadership and his ability to, to be a a head of a pitching staff that way. There's there are things about Bieber that I just, I feel so solid about that. He's just such a a dependable guy. Now I know you can't predict injuries, especially with pitching. And it's the one thing that, you know, a, a guy like Lindor can bet on himself because position players typically, I mean, it does happen, but how often are you going to have an injury as a position player where you're just taken off the mat for a year or completely disrupts an entire career? It, again, it can happen, but for pitchers, you're talking about you know, shoulders and elbows and Tommy John surgeries and things that could wipe you out for an entire year or maybe even more or take you from being a stud to well below that. It's something that I think every young pitcher has to think about a lot more heavily. Well, yeah, it could make sense for him to just let this ride, continue to take arbitration, earn more money that way. But for a young pitcher, I think there's something to just having the guarantee of it being there is, is just, it just, it makes a little bit more sense than it would have for Lindor. That's something that Bieber would have to consider if the Indians came to him with some sort of contract. I, I thought the, the, the Corey Kluber contract that they gave him initially when he first rose to prominence, was was perfect for Bieber last year. I, now I feel like if Bieber took something similar to what you gave Kluber, then it it would feel like a giant victory for the Indians. But I don't I don't know because there's just so much unknown with the next what the CBA looks like. And as a player, I don't know that I want to be locked into something right now. Yeah, it, there's just I... too much uncertainty there.
1: Right. That's that's the struggle with this. If you're if you're the Indians and you're looking down the road, I mean. I know that the Rays do this, that Oakland does this, we have this constant churn, but at some point, you have to take the elite, elite talent and keep them long-term. I mean, Jose Ramirez signed the most bargain contract maybe ever. <laughs> like the, the, the contract he signed is, is so friendly for the Indians. Otherwise, we would have been having the same exact conversation about Lindor the last couple of years, with with Ramirez, and I can't even imagine the brain power we would have lost listening to talk radio debate two players in the situation, let alone one. Um, and like Carrasco, similar thing. Like because Kluber was such a late bloomer, they were able to get a good deal with him. You know, they haven't signed a, a, a player to an extension. <sighs> You know, to any of those, certainly the mega extensions that we've seen, like Nolan Arenado sign, or even the Mookie Betts deal, but um, not even like anything, a level or two below that. And so I don't know what it would cost to keep Bieber at this point, but don't you want to establish some sort of foundation? Don't you want him, I mean, he's 25 years old, I would think that you could trust him for the next six or seven years, if he avoids injuries, certainly, and like, wouldn't it set a good precedent? And wouldn't it buy a little bit of goodwill from your fan base who, you know, a year or two from now is going to start worrying, like, all right, when are we going to trade this guy? Because if he's winning Cy Young Awards and he's one of the top couple pitchers in baseball, then that year two arbitration figure is going to be, what, $15 million? And then that's going to be too expensive? And, like, we're going to be having these same conversations. And you get to a point where it's like you have to – get the most out of these players super early in their careers or else you're you're never going to to field the best team so i i don't know what the answer is here i think bieber is a good example of someone who you would want to put faith in as an organization um but who knows the way they develop pitching they might think hey we could have another ace in the minors and then they could get tons in a trade for bieber it's It's sad. It's sad to think that that's how an organization would have to operate. We're not there quite yet, but um, yeah, Bieber certainly is as worthy as any candidate who has
0: come through here in in recent history. Wouldn't wouldn't they also benefit from having some cost certainty about the next few years in his contract? I mean, when he gets to arbitration... That's what I mean. We're talking... We've talked about Lindor and you know Clevenger and Bauer and the Indians saying, whoa, I don't know if we can pay the salary here of what it's going to cost to to keep them in arbitration. It would be nice from their perspective to just know, no, Bieber is going to earn $12 million this year, $14 million the next year. And you could go through that. And the benefit to Bieber is you pay him more now, pay him more than he's going to earn. And, and this is why I thought last year would have been the, the opportune time to do it because then you really could have won him over by giving him more money up front. Now he's inching towards arbitration, and the closer you get to that, the less it really is beneficial for him other than just knowing you're going to get paid even if you're injured or something takes you completely off the map. I think it's going to get progressively more difficult, as certainly as this offseason unwinds and you get into spring training. And if it doesn't happen, then I think you start to – it's not like you, you enter full panic mode, but I think you get a little bit closer to inching towards that button where you're thinking, Okay, we are gonna be entering this territory in the next couple of years with, with Beaver.
1: Right. So if he's scheduled to make, you know, six hundred thousand in twenty twenty one and let's say first year ARB, let's say five million in twenty twenty two, and then second year ARB, let's say let's just say twelve million. Right. So a team would much rather pay six 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 than one, five, twelve.
0: Um, so you can the devil raise paying (laughs) 666
1: so i think that would be beneficial and i'm not saying those are what the numbers would be but that's an example but then you look at it too and it's like here are the players making more than a couple million bucks next year carlos carrasco 12 but he could be traded jose ramirez nine roberto perez five and a half that's gonna be it that's it and you might trade Carrasco. You might have nobody making eight figures. You might have one player making more than five and a half million. And yeah. then the year after that, it's Carrasco's on the books for another 12. Ramirez has an $11 million team option. That's it. So I, I like I I don't think they're gonna pay Roberto Perez seven million. I mean, I maybe, but um, yeah, not better unless he rediscover some of that power. Yep. Right. So I like it's if you can't Afford to give Beaver a contract extension right now? Then what are we doing here? I mean, I, we've said that line for so many reasons over the last couple of years. The way they've yeah. they've operated financially. But yeah. it, I mean, it's it's you know it, it's a slippery slope. It's one thing to force yourself into a corner where you have to trade Francisco Lindor, um, but it's another to to waste. I mean, I, teams would dream of the of their books right now to have. They have no bad contracts on the books. They have really, really good talent making peanuts. And so a normal team would go out and and supplement that with some talent or lock up those players to make sure that it's not just, you know, you don't just have that foundation
0: for a, a year or two. But we'll see. No commitments in the future. Team that's built decently well with smart people at the helm. Boy, good time to sell the franchise. Uh, it, it's, I mean, it's, you're it's 100% correct, though, and there's been no
1: evidence that that's in the offing, but, I mean, it's, I, <laughs> I could not think of, like, it is such a perfect, it's ripe for the plucking, right? I mean, it's, isn't that what every owner wants? Like, take over a team, and and you have so few commitments. You've got a name change on the horizon with I would think a rebrand, and then, um, you know, you still have a pretty good team, you have a front office culture established, and an organization that is able to develop talent pretty well, so, yeah, I mean, uh, boy,
0: that, it would be, if I had $1.2 billion, I'd probably be interested. <laughs> Buy the team and name them after yourself, whatever you want them to be called. I mean, literally, it's, it's you could start brand new. Uh, new, new team name, new colors, new whatever you want to do. The the future is yours, my friend. Yeah, it's weird how that sets up. We've we've spent a lot of time on this podcast trying to write the conversation, get it centered as as close to reality as possible. And when the Dolans are owed their their due for smart things they've done, or in 2017 when they upped the payroll the way that they did, they were deserving of credit then. But it is getting more and more difficult even as someone that tries to see both sides of this argument to to really try to sell anyone on why they shouldn't be looking for a buyer elsewhere i mean at this point it's 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 getting pretty much as close as you can get for me to just say sell the team find somebody else that is going to be motivated by by different things
1: yeah i'm glad we saved this part of the conversation for the very end because the there we always get that one person who says so much negativity about ownership and the payroll. And, I mean, I, it's hard not to talk about that in many circumstances. Yeah. Or at least mention it. But, no, you're right. I mean, I they would love, their ideal scenario, I think, would be another minority investor like John Sherman. But that, John Sherman took them several years to find. <laughs> like, that's not
0: simple to do. And his motivation, too, is he's got an eye toward trying to buy a franchise and that gets his foot in the door, I would assume. This is the thought process yeah, there? So what's I, I what's the benefit of him be okay with them. What is the benefit of a minority owner now, other than I have plans to buy this team in the future?
1: Yeah. So the, the you know when I sat down with him last year and asked the one question that wasn't really asked was or that wasn't really answered was well, if you claim to be losing significant money most years, why do you own the team? and the answer was part because it allows us it gives us a platform to do things in the community and to help people completely understood but then the other part of the answer that had me scratching my head was he you know paul dolan mentioned the growing value of the franchise so it's you recognize that the day you sell you're going to make a ton of money because these teams don't go for cheap um but you know you can't have it both ways you can't complain and then also know that you're going to make out like a bandit whenever you sell, just like every
0: owner yeah. no who I sells I, the team does. I get it we've talked about this before that you just because a team is worth something doesn't mean that's money you have on hand. I get sure. it from from the perspective of all of the the hardships that they have to to fight through to own a team in the market of Cleveland, I get it, but you're right the motivation then. You know, what, what's your motivation to own the team? And at some point, maybe it is time to get that return on that investment. And or at, at and, least and
1: make the owner available to answer this question
0: more frequently. More, yeah, more directly with some, with some truth. I get it. And from, from their perspective, I know, because they say things that they believe to be true and the fans don't like it. And so they say, well, then why are we even going to come out here and say anything? I, I get it from their perspective. Again, I try to be as fair in this as, as I possibly can. Uh, and understand it from from all perspectives, but at, Yeah, at some and, point, and
1: I have no doubt that it's it's tough to especially when this is your baby yeah like this is this is their you know it's not like Steve Cohen or, or any of these owners now who made billions upon billions. I saw that Dan Gilbert is worth like forty five billion now like like it wouldn't matter to him, I don't think, if the Indians lost i don't know thirty million dollars last year. Or it might matter, but it wouldn't completely change right. well, that's, the course of the franchise. But the
0: motivation here for certain owners is I own this team because I want to I, I win a championship. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily their main source of, of income. It's, it's, it's their hobby. Um, all ownerships have a different way of looking at it. Uh, of course, the Dolans don't look at it necessarily like that. They see it as a business and an investment. And okay, that's fine. That's the way you want to run your team. I can't, I can't demand you do anything because it's your team, but doesn't mean people have to accept it or be happy with, with the direction that you take it in.
1: Yeah, I mean, this could be... We could spend hours on this. Maybe we should just do an ownership payroll Ugh. podcast at some point, just to get out of the way, and then we never have to talk about it
0: again, maybe? I don't oh, know. yeah, never again. Um, that'll just be it. We fixed the problem. No problems here. We could ask Paul Dolan to
1: come on the podcast. I have a feeling I know what he would say. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, you laid out all the reasons why it would make sense to sell. If
0: not now, then in the future, then pretty soon, right? Clean slate. All yours. Do whatever you want with it. Except for maybe move the team?
1: That's and, all and Again, the bottom line is that Always it's just. It, the it's the thing,
0: it's, it's in the back of your mind. It's a matter of, I don't think
1: people would have been as upset with this. Look, people want to say, like, oh, RIP the Indians 2013 to 2020. Like, it's time for a rebuild. And it's like, well, open your eyes and look at the roster. Like, th- it's not time for a rebuild. The rebuild has gradually been happening over the last few years. They have a pitching staff full of 24-year-olds who are, have major league experience. Like, it's, it's not like the teardown is starting now and they're going to rebuild for five years and then pop back up. Like, this, this has been taking place. Um, But I think people would have been more accepting of this had they made more of an effort to, I mean, you had, boy, you had a a rotation that was, I mean, you think about Kluber, Bauer, Clevenger, Carrasco, Salazar, and then Bieber. um, And most of those guys were underpaid. And then you had Lindor and Ramirez and other talent that was making less than market value. And you just could not put that. and, And I know the team choked in the playoffs and, um, was disinterested at times during the regular season in like 2018 and 2019, whatever. But like there were opportunities to make that roster even better, yeah. to, to actually spend a little bit to put it over the top um, or, or to fix your holes. And they didn't. And I think that is what gets people is where this part, I think people have come to terms with the fact that Lindor has, is, is going to be traded now and that this team is going to go into like a newer cycle but did you leave everything out on the floor in the past run? I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, that's, I feel like it's been beat to death on this podcast before. Taking advantage of having a guy like Francisco Lindor and the type of rotation that they've had over the years, it leaves you with a sense of not doing everything they could in their power to get it done. And that entire conversation shifts if they go out and win the World Series in 2017 or they get it done in 2016. But I think of more, you know, 16 was more of the surprise that they made it that far, and it all Yeah, they like, were
1: so much better the year after.
0: Right, 2017 is when they pushed the chips in, and they went out and got Encarnacion, and, and they won, they had a giant win streak, and all the goodwill you had going to the postseason, you, you, not only did they go get Encarnacion, but then they spent money to go bring in Jay Bruce to try to get it over the top, and the, the entire conversation shifts, and maybe you have more of a positive uh, light to shed on ownership if that team does get it done. So I get that, but I don't think that tells the entire story. You can subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at TJZoopy at Zach meisel at Selby is godcast My children are screaming downstairs, so that means podcast is over. Any parting words? Uh no, I we don't have time for a random
1: Indian today. We'll have to get to it next time. I just want to say thank you to everyone who listens and subscribes and supports the podcast. And, um, yeah, thank you. We'll try to make this more regular. It's been a little tricky with schedules, but yeah. uh, we should, we've, it, it'll be a long,
0: slow yeah. off season. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it all. We'll get to it all. We have some more fun things planned, as always. You know, we, we, we try to find some other things outside of just talking about the, the, the roster moves that will or will not happen and the ownership. Although Zach wants to do a whole entire weekly, every day of the week podcast talking ownership. Let the
1: hate flow through you. <laughs>
0: We got some more fun things coming up on the horizon this winter, so don't go anywhere. Thank you for also subscribing. anyone
1: who leaves us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Remember, Christmas ale on me.
0: Yeah, that's right. You get to pour it all over Zach. Until next time, we are out of here. See ya. <laughs>
1: you <laughs>